Welcome to another episode of the Solo Dad Podcast. This is one of your co-hosts, Matt, and I'm joined by another brother in grief, Adam. Adam, how are you doing today, bud? I'm good, man. How about yourself? Oh, hanging in there. It's a day conversation. So uh, then we don't judge anyone for what time they drink, but I'm having my second cup of coffee this morning. And Adam, I think you're partaking in what exactly? I'm having myself a big old glass of chai tea. I, I enjoy the, the chai tea quite a bit. Delicious. Well, and you know, the other one that we were just saying right off air, I was like the other one, and I'm sure hopefully some of our people listening, maybe they, maybe they can do a shout out on like a, on Instagram or on the Facebook group. Like I've heard nothing but good things about green tea. And like, if you can drink that often, it's supposed to help you with all sorts of magical stuff. I'm not promoting, nor am I a doctor. I'm just saying I've heard good things about green tea. Um, well, Adam, I know we're both solo dads and we both are trying to squeeze in time. You and I um, have connected through loss on Facebook and you're part of the solo dad Facebook group. So I appreciate that. Um, and you volunteered your time. And so I know you've got your three littles probably in different areas of being cared for right now. And I just gave mine the Amex and sent her in an Uber. I'm kidding. She's, <laughs> she's in free K right now. Um, uh, and so we have a window to have a conversation about where you're at in your grief journey. I want to make sure I preface that, you know, all the um, the normal things are in place here, right? Like, uh, you know, it's, it's sad. It's tragic. We want to share your story. Um, and you wanted to share your story because how you arrived into grief has some different nuances to it that I think are really good to share. And just you also, and sadly, but also this is part of what's going to happen with the solo dad is we're going to have people like myself that are nearly three years out. Um, eventually we'll have my good friend Bill on who's over a decade out and then always, unfortunately, someone new to the group, whether timing wise or not, but post grief or post loss, I should say, and new to the grief. And you're about four months. Is that correct? Yeah, she passed away May 1st of this, this year. So. so your perspective, and I want people to be able to hear this, is that your perspective is going to be definitely more fresh, more raw, probably a lot, a little less reflective and more almost reactive where Ben and I talk more kind of in a reflective way because it's what we've been through and still going through, but you are literally in the fresh of it. So I know, I, I know you've got the three girls and your wife, Katie, go ahead and share with us your story with Katie and, and we'll just go from there, bud. Well, I, uh, I was lucky enough to meet, um, her very early on. Uh, I was fresh out of high school. I worked at a grocery store and she was uh, a beggar and I was the cart boy. So I met her very early on and, uh, we connected Really quick. So overall, from beginning to end, it was about 14 and a half years we were together. And we had two beautiful children. We were both extremely happy. Um, and then um, I remember like it was yesterday. We, she went to go take a shower. She came downstairs and she was, uh, honey, I think there's I feel a lump person. And me being the prototypical funny guy, it's all right. I get a free chance to squeeze. All right, let's do this thing. So I, I'm like, all right. So I checked it. I'm like, no, you're right. That is, that is pretty firm. I'm like it might be a block duck because she was pregnant at the time with our third child. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. I said, it might be a block duck maybe or something. Uh, well, you know, why don't we go get it checked out and we'll go from there. So we went in, unfortunately this happened to be just really poor timing, but she was diagnosed with breast cancer on her birthday. Oh man. Yeah. So it was a little unfortunate timing with that. Um, and so they, they, it was a stage three at that point, and it was hormonal-based cancer. 
and they decided to start treatment as soon as possible while pregnant. So they gave uh, my wife, Katie, 12 rounds of chemo while pregnant. Gave her 12 rounds of chemo while pregnant. And then gave her a week off to give birth. And then eight rounds after birth to try to uh, kick the rest of it. Now she had a mastectomy done to make sure that uh, right. all of that was gone. And they said they got rid of most of it, which was good. She went to remission for almost about a year. And then after that, uh, she wasn't feeling the greatest. She had a hysterectomy done and she had reconstructive surgery done because she wasn't feeling like she was a beautiful woman at this point anymore because of the process of everything that she's been going through. She just wanted some normalcy back in her life. So we decided to go the route of doing reconstruction surgery. And during the reconstruction, um, her doctor had mentioned that uh, her area seemed to be um, pretty tender and that at the, I can't remember the name, the lymph nodes, sorry, the lymph nodes, lymph nodes uh, were very inflamed. So we had then got that checked out and sure enough, went to the doctors and they said, well, we don't just give scans just for the sake of scans. We'll check you in about a month. Month later, find out that the cancer had then spread to the liver and that it was stage four at that point. Yeah. So um, it was just another, unfortunately, another hit to the, the life that we were having at that point. So it was about three years of just battling and just doing the best we could. We exhausted all of our resources here locally. We went to, I'm from Wisconsin. So we went to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. We went to Chicago for the Cancer Center and Treatments in America down there. We went to Milwaukee. We ended up finishing our stint in Zion, Illinois at the Cancer Center of America. And they took very good care of her and tried some experimental things that seemed to have worked. Um, but unfortunately, um, things kind of took a turn and um, she had passed away May 1st. Oh man. Just real quick, when while she was in remission, was it literally just gonna be like uh annual scans or whatever? Was it just that sort of maintenance or whatever? Yeah, yeah. So she was clean, she was clear, clear then. So yeah, so when when they did the when they did the mastectomy and everything like that, and they checked everything, everything was clear. They said that some of the lymph nodes had small amounts, so they had her on a full form of a chemo to help keep that right. regulated. Yeah, maintenance or whatever they call it, right, right, right. And then uh, during that that period, that's when uh, we had the ability to take the family to, um, a family vacation that we haven't had a chance to do in a few years because we're battling all this. So we went to uh, Florida, went to Disney and Universal Studios. It was a very good year for us. And we had that chance to really bond and be together. You know, what's interesting is like, there's so many times when I hear other people's cancer journeys, right? With their spouse or their loved one, there seems to be this respite of both when like uh, whether it's taking a break from chemo or there's, there's a, a period when you go back and looking in whether it's a year or it's 30 days or 60 days or what, there's a point when you go like, that was really good. And then usually because I'm talking to these people, because things don't end as, as we would like that it comes, I don't want to say raging back, but it was like, that was, that's, that was the last good time. And what's yeah. interesting, one of the things I said in my video on Facebook right after my wife died, um, like a day or two after, I just was an easy way to tell people what had happened. And when I went off the script, once I said what I needed to say, one of the things I found myself saying was like, I just thought we had more time. And it's interesting because you look back and you're like, well, you, you in the moment, you didn't realize 
you got it. And, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be, like how much of it is right or wrong. Like how much is enough? There's never going to be enough. Right. But it's just interesting that so many times it's like, we did the same thing. We took a trip to Aruba. We went to Florida. We did a bunch of stuff because she was feeling good. And it was, it was, uh, we were up for it, but it is. And then you look back and you go like, Oh, we like, I it was like, a, a lot of times you don't realize the last one was the last one, the last Christmas, yeah. birthday, last, whatever. And there are so many times from the outsider looking in when you're watching someone's cancer journey, you're like, Oh, this might be it. You don't know because one year could turn into two. I've, I've had, I've had conversations with people whose spouses had stage four colorectal cancer for like six years. And you're like, that sounds like a marathon of just ups and downs and goods and bads. And you're like, Oh, and my wife was inside of a year. Yours was kind of in the middle there, which is still the exhaustion level like is is just relentless. And I only was a caregiver of a cancer patient for a year. I can't imagine all the, you know, the extra, it's, it's like the difference between, I don't know, maybe running a 5k versus a marathon. I don't, right. It's just hard. Yeah. So how, what did you find? So real quick, and again, I'm so sorry, right? How did the, how, let's stay with the older ones. How did the older two handle mom's cancer journey because much like your youngest my youngest has very little memories and if they do they only know mom is sick so what 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 was that kind of transition for the older ones like how did you handle that was there any resources you found available while you're going through it and then maybe after loss it, what's been going on with the old let's stay focused on the old two and we talk about the younger one yeah so my middle daughter is 11 my oldest is 13 in october and um they they did very well taking care of mom when I was at work, things like that. And um, obviously they'd have school, stuff like that. And uh, my wife would stay home with the little one. And while she was battling all this stuff, she still found time to do housework and clean and pay the bills and to battle all that stuff and still be a mom on top of that. Like I'm still blown away by how much she was able to accomplish. But with that being said, the girls, when they come home from school, it was a lot like myself. It was caretaker mode. It was what can I do to help mom? What can I do to make it easier for mom? Um, my 11 year old, she is, um, she is a, a great girl, but she's got her head in the clouds 90% of the time. So, <laughs> so for her, it was, I could tell that for her, it was more of a mental block for her to see her mom that way. And she wanted to just treat mom the way she wanted to be treated just as her mom, nothing else. So that's what she provided for her on a regular basis. Just, few little moments, laughs, full of smiles. And she was worried, obviously. Um, but she did her best to make sure that mom didn't see that all that often. Yeah. My oldest, um, she she likes to be treated as an adult. She is in that teenage stage where she wants to be treated like an adult, talk like an adult. And we've always had, me and my wife has always had a um open conversation with my oldest daughter. We've been very upfront and honest about everything. And if we got news, good or bad, we were very honest with her about the situation. And I give that girl a lot of credit because she has a, uh, she had a lot to carry. She's got some strong shoulders. She took care of her younger sister and her little one as well on top of all that at the same time. I think one thing to, to in your, your supporting this is I, I think as we as adults, there's so many things that we as adults, we've brought forward from our lives. Like this is hard. This is difficult. This is whatever. This is tragic. Cause we also understand life is deeper, but like I would say more often than not, the kids are way more resilient than we give them credit for, especially 
handling it with honesty. I feel like with my oldest, I, I edited what I told her just because I wasn't ready to admit what was really happening as my wife's cancer journey in life came to, to an end. I wasn't, I wasn't crystal clear. And I kind of regret that because it almost was like a double whammy for her after her, it was her stepmom, but after Marcy passed away, it was like, wait, but she was fine like 10 days ago. And we knew it wasn't, it wasn't going to go well. So I think one thing to, but you got to know your kid, like if you have a super, uh, you know, empath kid that, that, you know, just oozes emotion and takes it all in, you may, you may want to, but I think a lot of, right. Well, I think a lot of times us as adults were like, let me protect them. They don't need it. And I'm like, well, you can, and you know, you don't need to go get the doctor chart and like go medical on them, but you can be honest with them for their age level and who they are. And I think a lot of times we're like, oh no, we're going to hurt them. And it's like, well, it's like, you know, a car accident is going to happen. It's going to hurt. Like you probably should tell them to put on a seatbelt. Like, sorry, sweetie, this is it, right? Like, so I think there's some honesty and that's really, and you know, you just mentioned, right? Like your oldest was take, like no one probably, well, maybe you asked, but she just started taking care of her siblings. Uh, right? She and, played that mother hen role while, while mom was feeling the greatest. And, you know, even, even, um, after the fact, I mean, she's still in that role of she wants to be the one to step up and, and help any way she can by providing that that quote mother hen role. And she does an amazing job. And, and just to your point, you know, being honest and open with, with her was something that we, we did, again, kind of scripted in a way. We had to edit what we were saying to a certain extent because we didn't want her to worry. But I remember coming up to us it was probably a year and a half before she had passed we were having a conversation in the kitchen came in she said can we talk of course and we all sat down and she was listen she was i i want you to understand that i I know i'm i'm still a kid yet but when it comes to mom's health and when it comes to doing what we can to help mom i want you to be open and honest with me about everything so i know what i can do to help right And, and at the time 10, 11. I mean, for that to happen at 10, yeah, I was just, me and my wife were both just like, well, and again, it speaks to like, right. You can, you know, you kind of know your kid too. You're yeah. like, it's, it, it blew your mind, but at the same time, it probably wasn't a huge surprise to you. Right. Like right. exactly. This fit her personality. Maybe if the 11 year old was like, Hey, let me, can I help you file taxes? You're like, well, wait a minute. You right. were literally just talking about unicorns <laughs> and care bears. And now you want to whip out the old W W nine, four, whatever dash, whatever. Anyway, exactly. But I think, I think that's something that is worth, you know, kind of staying on is, you know, we use really soft words for death, right? We say yes. moved on, passed away, lost. Am I, we joke about it all the time. Another one's like, I didn't, I didn't misplace my wife. She's not with the card keys. Like I, like she's <laughs> dead. And what's interesting is they tell you up to a certain age, they're like, you just tell them they died. It's super uncomfortable for us adults to hear like my daughter will do it. A four-year-old will go like, my mommy died. And people are like, what is that? I'm like, well, it's uncomfortable for you, but there's no other word in the English language that can be confused for death is died. Pass away. I don't know what that means. Lost or you lose a lot, right? But there's really only one word that means dead and death, right? And that's dead. And so it it hurts for us because in the adult world, we like to soften it up. And we do that with a lot of things, right? Like you just use the right words that are appropriate because it's just going to make them navigate it way easier where it gets really, it can get really murky for them because they're, they are in black and white and, and they're stronger than we think. Like we're trying to be nice. Yeah. Like well, mommy, you know, mommy passed away or, or the, what was the, one of the other ones that they say, don't like, 
like the whole sleep thing, that'll freak kids out, right? You're like, yeah. well, you know, mommy or grandpa, whoever's getting, they're going, they went to sleep. They're just not going to wake up again. And then kids have all these anxieties about sleeping. It's like, I know it makes it easier for us not to say that we're dead, but I guarantee you, if you would have just told them like trees die, pets die, grandpa died, like they would be like, got it. Like you don't have to go into the whole thing. Right. And so I think that's another thing, like really, and I'm kind of harping on it. Like you have three groups yeah. going to be different for the different age brackets. But I think a level of truth and honesty, knowing the audience, you got to know your kid is super yeah. important. And it sounds, and it sounds like you do that with, with each one. Right. And again, Absolutely. we'll get to the youngest in a minute, but like the 13 and 11 year old, you delivered that message appropriately for them. Yeah. And that, and for me, that was one of the most important things was um, having that, having that open, honest relationship with my daughters, all three of them in, in general, but the oldest two, like we mentioned, for me, it was very important to be open and honest about everything because there were good days and bad days as people that have gone through the grief journey and have lost their spouses. They all know there's ups and downs. It happens. It's part of the journey. But with all that being said, you know, those ups and downs, if you, if you don't have that certain amount of clarity and truth to it, the ups and downs are so much more drastic than they should be if you're just somewhat honest. And again, knowing the, knowing your audience, but if you're somewhat honest to a certain point that helps them kind of comprehend everything a lot better, especially in that age. And, you know, my daughters, they always took, even after the fact it was that you never, you never gave up hope on her. You never, you never came home and filled us with nothing, but we can do this. I said, yeah. And, and I tried my very best to do that, even though at times the writing was on the wall that she was not doing well. And that's just the fact of the, the, the matter. And that's unfortunately the fact of life at half the time. I think that unless someone's walked on a turn and we, we, I, I use the words terminal versus tragic, right? So tragic yes. is an instant, right? And terminal is there's a, some, some sort of run up to, to, to death, whether it's a week or it's a year or 10 years. But anyway, uh, so what I was going to say is if you haven't walked on the terminal path before, it really freaks people out. And I've, I've tried to struggle to find the right where I'm like, I stumbled on like something kind of like there's this really weird thing where you, 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 uh, there's simple ways like you hope for the best, but you plan for the worst. That's another one. One is like, there's this, we, we can't do it. It's just like you hang on to hope, but at the same time you live in reality, right? Like, of course we hope that a magic thing would happen and cancer goes away from our spouse's body. But at the same time you go like the reality is the statistics stay that this is not going to end in any way we saw. So how, how do you handle that in between? Right? Like, do you, do you live delusionally and be like, everything's going to be fine. They're going to be healed. You're like, well, that works until you get hit with it. They're not. And you may have not taken that trip. You may have not spoken honestly to people. One wow. of the phrases my wife and I lived by during her cancer journey, when we kind of had an inclination that this was not, this wasn't a, this wasn't a 10 year deal that we're like, say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done because not everyone's given that. And it sounds horrible. If you haven't walked on it, that gift before, yeah. like you get to tell your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your friends, your coworkers, what they mean to you, what, what, however you need to do it. And so it's really odd for people who haven't walked on it before to, to understand that like you come home and you're honest and people are like, but how, then, then how do you go? To, how do you go to Disneyland a week later? You're like, because we can. And that's the one thing that I would encourage pretty much anybody, even if it's, even if it's terminal or tragic, have those conversations, 
I know it's not easy and it's very hard to face those conversations at times. But if, if I could say anything from even from everything I've gone through my entire life, now I've dealt with the tragic before and I've, I've dealt with the terminal recently. And with all that being said, having those conversations is one of the most important things you can do to the people you care about, people you love, your family members, because that helps yourself grow. It helps them heal and it helps just the whole process in general. Yeah. And and it's a weird thing to say gift. It's not, I mean, and so again, if you haven't walked on it, it's going to sound really bad, but it's just, it's just true. There's a way to live with some honesty and some intention while being dealt this very difficult, very complicated diagnosis of like, so, you know, I used to tell people too, I was like, I've never had a doctor walk in in a white coat and tell me like, Hey, your life expectancy just got cut down to like zero. And you're like, wait, what? Like it's, it's gotta do a number on you. Right. I mean, I was in the room when it happened to my wife, but it wasn't, it was, I was happening next to her, but it, it wasn't happening to me. Right. And so it's a weird deal. And so I can only imagine where some people are like, nope, they go one way or the other, right? You, you go all happy all the time until, until it, and that's okay too. But like, just know that there, there are some nuances in there that can make it, I don't know. I don't want to say more fulfilling. That sounds awful, but like just, and, it, and, it, and there's something too about, like you're saying, when you, like being honest, like I, I was telling some the other day, even just about like crying in front of the kids, they're like, well, sometimes, you know, you don't want to be crying all the time, all the time in front of the kids. But I also believe that they they need to see that we're sad and it's okay. Like, you know, oh, you miss mommy. Yeah, I do. I really do. And it sucks that no one else is here to do the thing that a mommy would do or a partner would do or whatever. I'm like, and I'm tired and I'm not mad. I'm just crying because it's not fair to you, to me, the world that this wonderful person is gone. So I think it's something like that's part of, I think that's the seed of honesty that was planted during our cancer journey that I've continued to kind of like, nourish i'm like well man like if someone how are you doing today not great like that's okay to say that like i think especially people get it i wouldn't tell that to the lady at the cashier but i've done that before actually when it's been (laughs) with the kids too you know because of that level of honesty that uh that we have set up because of that journey it is it has helped me not just become a better person better father for them because now we have that that trust and that honesty built in the house into our daily lives now that allows not just myself, but all family included to understand that, hey, you're having a bad day, talk about it, let it out, don't hold it in. Like it's, it's one of those, it's, it's one of those things in a retrospective kind of way that even though it's still very early on for me, I'm still finding it now that being honest and open with your emotions at times are, are a good thing. I mean, you can right. be oversharing at times too. Yeah, but for sure. Yeah. The poor, but, the poor cashier at Target is not. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Although every now and then you may want to, it's kind of, it, sometimes the shock and awe is fun. Like, how are you yes. doing today? Well, well, let me tell you what. <laughs> um, so the 13, 11 year old kind of p- picked up the, the, the cancer journey and walked with it. What was your experience with the little and her relationship to, to mom? Because I find it interesting, like mine with, you know, newborn, same thing. It was different. Well, and that's the thing too with the four-year-old. It's it's been I don't want to say it's been a, it's been easy because it hasn't been, but it's also been eye-opening as far as I know her journey is just beginning because the, her whole world was her mom. I was able to provide for her the whole time so she could stay home, take care of the kids, 
And so for, for my little one, she was home every day. That was her entire world. She didn't know anything else besides mom not being sick and being home and doing things with her, showing her letters and shapes and colors and being mom. So when she had passed, it, it definitely, um, definitely impacted her quite a bit. But it's also now that, again, four months out, it's not a lot of time, but there's like yesterday, you kind of touched base on a, a little while ago here. It was, I'm fine, right? And my daughter come up to me last night and she goes, daddy, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. She runs at me, gives me a big hug. And she goes, I know you needed a hug for, for mom. I know Aww. you missed I'm like, oh, so it's, it's, they can read it. I'm a, I get my, my youngest, I must get some special look on my face. Cause like I'll folding laundry. We'll just whatever. And all of a sudden she'll be like, dad, you miss mama. And I was like, I must get some very different look on my face. And, and I'm like, yeah, I do. And, you know, sometimes it leads to more. Sometimes that's it. Sometimes I get a hug. Sometimes like my daughter's four and mean, and she goes, get it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Get over and get me some apples. Um, you're like, Oh, you're brutal. No. Um, what's interesting. Do you, I know you're only, you're, you're four months out. Have you noticed a shift in any of the girls of their gravitation towards, I love what Ben, Ben, I'm using his phrase of their gravitation towards feminine energy, whether it's a mom influence or grandma or aunt. Yes, absolutely. I had, I had a very good friend of mine that I introduced to my kids and, um, just that, just that female energy that was around them. Mm-hmm. My four-year-old almost immediately gravitated towards her. And it was, it's not a bad thing at all. In fact, I encouraged it because it was one of those moments where I'm like, okay, she wants this. She needs that feeling again. And I'm like, I'm like, go for it. Have, have that moment. And my other daughters are the same thing. She's a very good friend of mine. And um, because of that, that motherly quality she has, I, my my daughters immediately gravitated towards her and it became easy. Started asking questions that I wasn't prepared for. Like, oh, uh, so when should I start shaving my legs? Uh, what ah. kind of products should I be using? Um, you know, those kind of things. And those are questions that I'm like, well, I can show you how to shave my your legs, but I, you know, mine are pretty hairy. I don't know how well that would go. And as there's far a as great, products, is it, there's a great commercial that came out a few years ago. Yeah. I oh man, and it it was a dad, and it's like Procter and Gamble or somebody, yep. and it's like he's butchering the hell out of his leg, showing his daughter, which I don't know the backstory. They don't really go into it. She's just a teen, and it was. I think it was. We'll just go with like it was Dove or something. It was like yeah. all the products of their lives, is, and then it shows it like going away to college, and of course, bawling your eyes out. But um, it's interesting, right? Like there's like we are capable, we can do things, but I have there's something about also like. I can tell my daughter she looks pretty and it's true. Yeah. Hearing it from a female voice changes everything. Everything. Yeah. And so, so they gravitate towards it. And are you comfortable with like, and there's another gentleman I I referenced just a minute ago. His name's Bill. He had, and his, I'll just make up the years because I'm going to butcher it, but he's 10 years out and he, his girls that are now ones, I think in college, another graduated college, still have like this little tribe of women that he's remarried and they have a stepmom, but like they were there through the grief. They were, they were there, they were like mom's friends. And so they have this little circle. I'll just call them of like ants that they still every now and then will text or have a cup of coffee with, which 
you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. And I, I, I hope that's something over time, because again, she's four, but like your 13 year old can have that sort of circle of someone to draw from, even if we'll say when, hopefully, uh, you know, you, you get forward with living again and maybe finding someone to be involved in your life. They're still going to, because that person, br- the, the, that little group will bridge, right? Like yes, that, that yeah. bridge. And you don't ever want that to go away if it's healthy. Right. Which is right. great. My, my four-year-old, you know, my, my wife has, has amazing group of friends. There's just not a lot they can offer a four-year-old on a daily basis. But as soon as she hits like whatever age is to going to tick dad off. She's going to need to be calling those ladies. I'm like, I have no idea what color fuchsia is and she wants to wear it. I don't like <laughs> someone come help me pick out a dazzled jean jacket or whatever the trends. Yeah, ironically be. enough. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people that, um, and as you've gotten to know me fairly well now, um, it's, it's not hard for me to talk to people, meet people, um, and I've created bonds with a lot of people throughout this journey, even with my wife, while she wasn't feeling the greatest. And we have this nice little, uh, I want to call it a safety net is what I like to call it. We have this little safety net of groups of, I call them our, our adoptive uncles and aunts. There you go. I have, I have friends of mine that live up in Canada. I have friends of mine that live in Milwaukee. I have friends of mine that live in Minnesota. Uh, and it's no matter where we kind of branch out from where we're living, we have some type of person or some type of safety net in place where if they need something, I know I can reach out to any corner of where I'm at and go, Hey, why don't you talk to uncle Deb? Why don't you talk to, you know, why don't you talk to auntie? Why don't you talk to this person? And that has been something that I've been truly blessed with having. And, uh, like the gentleman in, um, Canada, I've known him for 12 years. He's right. been through the whole journey with me and my kids. He's talked to them on the phone. He's talking to my wife personally. Yeah. I mean, and having that nice safety net. Now, mind you, I've never met this guy in person. Yet. I've just, I've just known him through just phone calls, things like that. Having that kind of level of support has been extremely helpful. Extremely helpful. What I was writing down, sorry, to pick up there. Um, what I was writing down was uh, you call it a safety net and adopted aunts and uncles. I've also heard it called like support network, right? Or the other one, or sorry, you said safety net, uh, is, uh, I chosen family, right? Cause we have family family. and it's not comparing. It's not like one's better, but like, there's just these core group of folks that you, you repeatedly can rely on that always show up in the way that you need them to show up. Right. Whether that's a phone call or whether it's someone that's like, Hey, I know that it's Blair's first day of school and we're sending her care pack, whatever it might be. They, they show up in the way that you need them to show up. And to continue to foster that, because I think also remember guys in general, we, we, I was just thinking about this, like women have this innate ability to create something out of nothing. And I mean that by like, they can create a community, they can create a PTA, they can create a group of people to go out and do something right. Like for a cause or whatever, guys are really good at creating something out of something, building crap, fixing it. Right. It was an intro. I just kind of had a pivot. I was like, wow. So now when you're a solo dad, you're supposed to create something out of nothing, Right. So I just, this is going to sound really, I was at the park the other day and started to kind of, ironically enough, this guy's daughter has a very similar name to mine and we're talking, blah, blah, blah. We're like, oh, funny. And they start doing the slide. We start talking and kind of do the, you know, you kind of suss each other out. Like, are we going to, are we on the same page? And so we're leaving, we're swapping phone numbers. He's like, and the girl's like, we're going to do sleepovers. I'm like, it's amazing at four, they're best friends forever. Right. One hour in the park. 
I'm still looking at this guy going like, I don't know. Like, are you vegan? I don't, right. So, um, cause I like bacon anyway. And so, and so we're walking to the car and he goes, this can be really interesting. I'm going to come home tell my wife, I met a dude at the park. Can he come over? And I'm like, right. It's totally weird, but women do it all the time. They're like, yeah. I have cop. So I think that's an interesting nuance. And what I want to get back to is your safety net. If people can take from what you just said too, is continue to foster and feed that because when you're, it's going to be so important and it may change in nuance over time, but my gosh, if you've got something like that, continue to use it because I think a lot of times we guys and Ben and I've talked about this and I think an episode that's not released yet, but we, we suck at using the H word, like help. Like we just like whatever it might be that, and sometimes we don't know what we need for help until we know just having someone to go to a bullpen or the family or the safety net, right. That you can go like, you know who I can call about that, or, you know, who's going to help me figure this out, or, you know, the kid can call about that. Right. So I think like, take, take that as, you know, kudos to you for doing that and continue to fostering it too. That's like, that's not, that's not really a natural, a, a really natural guy thing to do all the time, especially when you right. You've gotten older, right? As you become a more of an adult, you're like, well, my circle, it's just this. And you're like, but grief smashes that. And you're like, you're going to have to, because some of my best friends, now they've called me out a few times, but like they get it as best they can, but they're all happy and married. Right. And so like, they're awesome. But at the same time, I'm like, I need to talk to someone who has the next level of empathy for me or sympathy. Right. I always get those two mixed up. So good for you. So keep doing that. And the girls are comfortable with that too, right? Like they know. Oh, they, they, can- they love it. Like I said, it's, it's, it's that nice little safety net that, I, that we have in place. And it's, it's nice to know that, uh, you know, if my, my oldest, for example, um, she has a very good friend of hers, her mom and my wife were best friends and they have, they have classes together. They're constantly talking with each other. And, she has her mom as kind of her adoptive aunt, adoptive mom at the moment in time, because again, there's still a lot of questions. There's still a lot of unknowns. So she's really stepped up and helped with that as well. And um, as far as, you know, having that in place at an, at a very young age, I had to learn very quickly that asking for help is not a, the easiest thing. Like you said, for, for men, it's, even even after my wife had passed, it's people were doing their best. Family members were trying their best to be helpful. But in that moment in time, especially early on, you want to try your best to manage your grief, but you also want to be quote the man and step up and try to do everything yourself right. when you know you need the help, but you're like, no, I'll be fine. And right. it, it, it's, it's hard to accept those things at, at times. Um, I would say the first few months after she passed, it was, it was a little rough with, with the family because I was so defiant in being told what I had to do and then what I was willing to accept. And that was, that's still a little back and forth, a little hard to deal with. Can of do some clarity on that. So yeah, of course, me personally, if someone tells me in a certain manner, like, Take out the garbage. Let's use a, a, a yeah. He goes, take out the garbage. I get a little defensive and I'm like, well, why don't you take out the garbage? Versus, hey, the garbage is coming. Why don't you maybe get that out so we can get that ready for tomorrow? Yeah. Sure. No problem. So there's there's a slight difference in gotcha. the way things are approached. Yep. So in the beginning, it was, well, you need to do this for your girls. You need to do it this way. You need to do it that way. And I found myself butting back a lot. 
And I found myself being more confrontational or almost defensive in a way, because I was like, well, the way I was doing it was just fine. And even though she's not here, I'm still going to keep doing it this way. Right. Without realizing that I needed that help to get my kid, my kids, myself, my family to the point where I can be that same type of way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and true, you know, early on it, like I, I'm trying to go all the way back. So if my first four months would have covered suspense, uh, our, the anniversary of our first date and us meeting my birthday, Thanksgiving, we used to do a big Friendsgiving. So like, you know, friends for Thanksgiving, uh, my eldest's birthday, uh, Christmas, New Year's Eve. Uh, so that's uh, October, November, December, January. So yeah. And almost, well, five, five months gets us to our anniversary. Right. And so it is such a, a tsunami of grief waves. That I think if anyone had come and told me you should, or did anything counterintuitive what I was doing, I don't know if I would have noticed. I was so probably emotionally exhausted. I would have been like, whatever. Like, I, I think like, I think someone had to tell me like, you have to take, she's, she's 18 months. You need to take her to the doctor. Like she needs a checkup. And I'm like, huh? Like I, I was like, I was right. And so I think also depending on, we'll go three more months, we'll get you past six months or something. And you look back and you go like, it may have just been a self-defense mechanism. Yeah. We are like, listen, I understand you're giving me on the surface on paper. This is really good advice that you're giving me that I should be doing. But you have to understand, I can't take any more changes or any more input right now because of what I'm dealing on the surface and what I'm dealing with emotionally on the inside. Right. That's exactly right. It could have just been a self-defense mechanism of like, even though you have a, it's your tendency anyway, but it could have just been like, I got to wrap myself in some sort of continuity so I can come out and start figuring it out. And I, I remember one of my, one of my grief counselors was saying like, there's this, there's a fog, there's definitively a grief fog where like you just kind of walk around and you're like, I don't. And then all of a sudden it's like, you're in a dark, you're in your room, but it's pitch black. Right. So, you know, there's a bed, you know, there's a nightstand, you know, there's a chair, you know, you know, there's stuff. And eventually you're feeling around. You're like, Oh yeah, that's right. That's the bed. And you start to be able to function again because you're able to identify stuff and figure it out. Right. And so, it's, but it's a self, it's like, it's like someone turned the lights off and you go into a cocoon because you just got to deal with what you can emotionally. So that I, I would give yourself a little bit of grace, but it's good for you to acknowledge that. And then realize too, now you're going like, Oh, now's the time that I, you know, you, whatever the girls should be in summer camps. And you're like, yeah, but I want yeah. to because it makes me feel loved and safe and secure. And then you realize, you know what, actually, if they're comfortable with going as difficult as it may be for me emotionally, maybe that's good. I'm using that as a total made up example, but um, what did you find? So, so a little bit of that, uh, and as you came out and started realizing, you know, people are, are either offering help, maybe the delivery's a little off. I, I say that a lot of times where like people's hearts in the right places, but it may not be their deliveries off. We just don't receive it the right way too. That could be right. Our, right. Our receptors may be slightly broken at the time. What, so, and I know you and I have talked, um, briefly off air or after yeah. recording about, you know, you're growing up. So, with the things that happened to you growing up, yeah. what what tools did you kind of bring in, whatever you want to share, right? What tools did you bring into the grief? Well, that's like, so any tools you brought in or any past experience you drew off of in the cancer journey and then anything in the grief realm where you had to either be cognitive of or go like, hey, I remember in my life when this happened, the result was not great. So let me 
try not to do X, Y, and Z or ABC. Like, cause you, you cut your, your, your growing up, it brings you to a different perspective. Oh, right. So, I mean, early on, it was very, very young when it happened, but uh, I was a, a part of a divorced family at the age of eight. Um, and at the age of 10, um, due to that divorce and just what my mental state was at the time, um, I actually was uh, sent to a um, psychiatric ward for observation for suicide for about a month and a half. And at 10, that's a, that's a hectic thing. But with all that being said, with those things that are going, that went on, it helped me realize at a very young age, the warning signs, what to watch for and what kind of pitfalls to not have to worry about going forward. Um, and I had, unfortunately, with my grief stages, um, when it comes to that journey, I've been through the grief stages more than once. Um, I had had close friends of mine in, in high school that were very close to me, one of which died into a, a car accident. They are um, all over the top of her, unfortunately, and um, we were very, very, very close. And I couldn't, I couldn't say goodbye. It was very difficult for me at that time because, again, I, I think I was 14 at the time. And I, after that whole journey and after dealing with that kind of grief, and that's such a sudden, tragic grief so fast, right. I realized my coping mechanisms because of that, what I needed to do for myself to help me get through those kind of grief stages. Then too fast forward two years later, I had another friend of mine, very good friend of mine in high school, die from cancer. And oh, yeah, so it was one of those things where I already had kind of a feeling and a, and a tendency of how do I get through these steps when I lose someone I care about and how I go through dealing with someone that I've been friends with for a very long time and how do you recover from all those things? And the, the, for me personally, the coping mechanisms that I was finding off early on, especially in the grief process was. I need to make sure I can take the time to completely unplug from the world and take those moments to let it out, get not get over, but let it out and get, get past that point of, okay, this is what happened. I need to understand this is what happened and work on trying to be stronger for myself because there's still others around me that are going to be impacted by what happened. Right. So, so for, like I said, my, my two friends that had passed, I had a, I had a very large group of friends, and in, in high school, if you remember, it's it was you know you had your little cliques, and all the yeah. little cliques had other little cliques. So, so I, I was one of those kind of people that liked to bounce around. So I knew in those moments and times that I would have a lot of people coming up to me or asking questions like, "How do you feel?" or "How are you handling all of this?" And it helped me become a stronger person individually because I knew those questions were going to happen. And it helped allow me to give back in the way that I've always wanted to back and be supportive of other people. Um, and then before my, uh, my wife, uh, my mother had passed away. Uh, I was adopted. So my, my adoptive mother, um, she had passed away from type 2 diabetes. And that one, that one hurt a lot um, because, again, from being in a divorced home, she was a single mom for a very long time. And... I was very close to my mother and she taught me how to take care of family better the way that I truly wanted to be able to take care of. So I followed her example by, even though she wasn't feeling good or eyesight was going, things like that, just the complications with that, that no matter what happens, you have to constantly keep 
pushing forward. And that has been a mantra I've used almost my entire life. So even the grief journey, the tragic or, or terminal, even now, uh, I, I have to keep using this mantra of no matter what happens, you have to find a way to keep pushing forward. There's just... I think I agree. There's one I'm not want to steal it because it's only in the colorectal cancer group that uses hashtag, but um, keep going forward is, is something too that I think people may over uh, magnify, like make it bigger yes. than it is. In other words, like, oh, like some big grandioso going forward. No, keep going forward may mean like you just do a load of laundry. Yeah, exactly. It could be the smallest things that make the biggest impacts. And everyone, again, everyone has their own different ways of handling their, their grief, their journey, and handling what's going on in their world at that time. For me personally, it's it's been, you know, I have my good days and my bad days. When I have my bad days. They are bad. And they are, they can be all consuming at times. Yeah. But if I don't say that mantra to myself and just pick myself off the couch or get out of bed in the because I understand there's people out there that are like, I don't even want to get out of bed. That's, that's totally understandable. That's, that's something that people who have gone through this journey understand that really well. But if yeah. you don't do that, how can you keep pushing forward? How can you keep being better? The conversation I had with my wife, one of the very last times, she had said, I, I want you to be happy. And I said, I understand. That. She goes, and I, 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 I don't know if it'll ever be better for you, but that's what I want. Yeah. And I said, listen, at the end of the day, there's never going to be uh, better from what we have here in our life. Mm-hmm. What we have together in our right. It's what we can to what we can do to be better right. in our life. What we can do to be better for the people that we have unfortunately have lost in this process. What can we do to be better for ourselves, for our kids, for the in honor and in memory of the people. So that's another one that I try to remember. And, and self affirmations are huge to be better have to be able to get yourself out of bed and, and do the things that even though it may be hard, you've got to keep putting a foot in front of the other. Yeah. There's, I was just having a conversation with someone the other day about like, I don't want to reference any specific motivational speaker because I don't want to put words in their mouth and get in trouble. Not sponsored by anybody uh, <laughs> that uh, a lot of them it's Dave and they've done studies about this. Like it's usually just do the one thing. It's kind of the whole member. I, my grandpa, this is, this goes way back. So for kids who don't paint rooms or houses, they're gonna have no idea what I'm talking about. But like, if you look at a project, you're like, it's so daunting to paint a room. It's huge. You got to yeah. like, no, you start with a corner and you just yes. start. And I think it's kind of that sort of idea of like you, you literally, like you're saying, like, you know, one of my wife's actually mantras were like, be better. If you're just a little better every day, imagine how great you're going to be in 10 years. Right. Right. Um, and right. It's kind of the same thing with all sorts of personal gains, right. Whether you're talking about working out or running or eating, if you eat, if you eat one more ounce of vegetables every day than you did before, you're going to eat more vegetables over the course of the year. Right. Like it's just an ounce, like how hard can it, so, or an apple a day, right? If you just ate one more apple a day than you did before the year before, you've got to be a little bit healthier, I would think. I don't know. Well, and the reason that, that it's so true for myself is I've been down that self-deprecating mode myself. And that that's something that I, I didn't mention that I, I kind of want to make sure I make it the same. Right. Um, during that in-between period of 14 and 16, when I lost one friend and then I lost another yeah. In between there, I was in that self-deprecating phase where I was actually addicted to some pretty hard drugs 
at the age of 15. I mean, it was the narcotics. They were very tough drugs that yeah. even as an adult, you're going, you would say, wow, really? And, and at the age of 15, I had access to them and, and I abused them. And I was, I lived underneath an overpass for three months as a 15 mm. year old kid. And just and able to get out of that and and having friends of mine and their family step up and practically save my life and help me get back on my two feet again that's when that be better for yourself and everything else really started to make a lot more sense because being down that self-deprecating mode and trying to do anything you can to make the pain go away so to speak yeah it's well it's chasing that dry right you're trying to numb exactly. something you can't be numbed right and and exactly. the feelings suck. They suck. If you had two friends pass away in the span of a year, uh, tragically or qu- more quickly, right? Or what you had cancer, you had the, the accident one too. That's a lot of grief to handle. But one of the things that is really hard to explain to someone who's, I would say, younger would be like, grief will find a way to be acknowledged. You can run as fast as you want and as far as you want away from it. But guess what grief's going to do? It's going to be like, told you I'd make you run fast, right? You, you can't like, it's going to be addressed. And if you try to ignore it, it's going to, it's going to seep into other ways. You're going to either, you're either going to go down a self-deprecation, self-harming thing. You're going to, because that then creates pain that you can deal with or you can kind of manage it, or you're going to make, you're going to make some really odd life choices and all of a sudden put yourself in a situation where you're like, well, now I'm sad that I don't have a house or whatever, right? Like, all of a sudden, right, right. you're like, I don't know what happened, but I don't have pants anymore. You're like, yes, you've made some poor choices because you're not addressing your grief, right? When the grief hits, unfortunately, there are, and I, I had another grief counselor say like, there is no wrong, way to, no wrong way to grieve. There's just some really unhealthy choices we can make. Yeah. But like if, you're, if your grief pattern is to sit on the couch and cry over every movie, that's okay. If your thing is to go to the gym, work out and cry in the car afterwards, that's okay too, because you're acknowledging it, you're addressing it, and you're dealing with it. If your thing is to go right back out there and pretend like nothing happened at all, that's going to not go well, right? right? And so I think that's one of the things that you, you said you kind of learned in your, no pun intended, your time under the bridge was, yeah. that, was <laughs> that like, oh, people were saying like, hey, not only do you need to be better for yourself, but you you need to recognize you've been through some shitty stuff and it's okay stealing from Megan Divine. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to be mad, sad, angry. Again, stages aren't linear. All those feelings that come up, it's okay to feel all of them. And some of them are messy and ugly, but if you address them, the next time they came up, they're you're, they're a little more easy to handle. It's like taking small bites of a big sandwich too, right? Like a big, huge Absolutely. So knowing those with your wife's journey and your wife's death that either you recognize and go, aha, here it is again, or hey, don't fall into that trap or those sort of things. Because those past experiences, hopefully we learn from them. And if we don't, hopefully we don't necessarily repeat the same mistake. Right. Well, and with, with the wife's journey, you know, obviously it was with all my prior experiences in my life and everything with losing my friends, my mother, um, those kind of things. When it came to our relationship um, and, and being in that caretaking role for her, it helped me in, in a lot of ways prepare not just myself, but her and her mental state for everything that she was going to be dealing with at that moment in time. Because again, I, 
we were together a long time. I was very open and honest with her about my past and all the things that I've gone through. So she truly understood the kind of things that I had gone through. And we had talked about those kind of things. And it was nice because she had said on more than one occasion, she goes, I don't, I don't think there's anything I could possibly say or do or complain about in my life because you've gone through hell and back and you're still this loving, caring father and you care about me and you're doing everything you can for me. She goes, I, there's no reason that I should be able to hang it up or fall in these little pits of sadness and, and despair when I know someone else in my life that's going through that journey with me right now has been in that same hole that has found a way out of those pits, has found a way to power through those kind of things. So it helped our relationship. And then even as far as taking care of her, it helped me manage more of my emotions during the time period of, okay, she just got diagnosed with breast cancer. What can we do? And it helped me focus all of my energy on the next step. What can we do to keep pushing forward? What can we do to be better in this situation right now? And that in turn helped strengthen her and help give her some resolve in all this because it was one of those things where she it got she got hit hard with this news. She never thought in a million years this would ever happen. Well, unfortunately it did. So now, now what we need to do is concentrate on what next? What can we do now to change the outcome right now to give us more time, anything else? And that helped strengthen her resolve, I think, quite a bit. And with other family members and, and friends and close confidants of our relationship, it allowed us to be very open and honest and loving to the world because of everything that we've gone through as a couple up to that point and all those experiences that I've had. It allowed us to be a little bit more open and honest with the group of friends that we were with about the journey and about everything else. So that had a lot to do with it too. So I guess at the end of the day, my, my history didn't just shape who I was as a person, but it also made a very large impact on how hard and how ferociously my, my life fought for literally because she knew that there was a darker side to everything else and that she could push past it because of an example laid in front of now I'm not I'm not going to sit here and toot my own horn or anything, but again, you know it's it's those past experiences that that shape who you become as a person. And if you can if you can lay that out to anyone, especially someone that you love and care for deeply enough to help prevent them from slipping and falling and help grab them and pick them up off the floor when they're weak, great. Um, any any sort of resources in your first four months? that you would either give a shout out to anybody like, Hey, like, I mean, I have an amazing widow group from a cancer house in, in, I'll go ahead and say it. it's called the wellness house outside of Chicago and Hinsdale, Illinois. So if you're listening you're in the greater Chicago area and you've had loss or you're dealing with cancer, reach out to the wellness house. They're amazing. Shameless plug. But so something like that or a book or anything like that, that's either helped you or the kiddos. Um, I'd love to put it in the show notes. So anything like that, that's helped you again, you're fresh, you're new. Maybe there's something super exciting about new grief. I don't know about, I don't know. I, I try to stay up on it, but who knows? <laughs> anything like that, Adam? Well, so for me, like, uh, I would say the last month for sure, I've been lucky enough to meet some amazing people that have helped me through a lot, but my place of business that I work for, they offer a employee referral counseling system that has offered 
um, counseling sessions for myself and for their employees. And I got to tell you, having a counselor or a therapist or anyone you can really share your insecurities with, your problems with, your just your even your daily routine of this is tough. And having that ability to rely on someone to talk to, even if it's once every three weeks, uh, that has been so immensely helpful for me in my journey so far. Um, I, this past month of my life has been kind of up and down, obviously, with just going through the processes and everything else. But with all that being said, you know, it's without that kind of level of support from a counseling system, it, it definitely wouldn't have been as easy. Um, I have been reading a few self-help books. I can't remember the name of one. I think one of them was You Are a Badass and Get Used to It. I can't remember the, the author, nice. but that one's filled with a lot of uh, recognizing that you're not okay right now and that you are you are able to keep pushing forward. And in your, it's, it's a lot of self-affirmations, but it's also a lot of reflective, you're going through a rough time right now, but you can get it through it because you're, you're a badass. <laughs> you're, you're somebody that can step up to the plate and get through these kind of things. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've been definitely doing that. And then my own self-coping mechanism is writing poetry. Enjoy doing. Um, it's something that I was good at in high school that helped me through my friends, my losses with them, through even rehab journey of the addiction, uh, I wrote poetry a lot. Um, and and getting those inner thoughts and your inner feelings out on paper. There's something about that. There's there's definitely something. The podcast is one version of that for sure, but there is something about whether you're writing or, or typing journaling. Uh, so you're talking about the one book and you were able to run and go grab the author is, and I'll put it in the show notes too. So it's Your Badass by Jen. Jen Sincero. Um, she is a New York Times bestselling author. She's sold 2 million copies of this book. It's You Are a Badass, How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life. Awesome. And then the other one that you were able to go pick up, you're saying is what? And it's called The Highly Sensitive People. It's How to Manage Your Emotions, Stop Anxiety and Negative Energy in Highly Sensitive by a gentleman named Bennett Robson. And basically what that is, that is a, a complete guide for sensitive people. They, they HPS or HSP is what we refer to as. And um, it's helped me a lot with my emotional anxieties that I've been having as far as, um, you know, with, with my wife being gone. It was mm-hmm. that, such that high level of emotion that I shared with her on a, on a regular basis and how to deal with still being that highly sensitive person right now, how to kind of quiet some of those things down and really rationalize those. It has a very scientific look to it, but it's also very informative with just the information that's in the book. Does it, does that book talk about, because I find this is way generalization, but when it talks about anxiety, um, a lot of times what I have found in this is way over uh, simplification uh, is coming back to like the here and now, right? Like almost, yes. yeah, yes. it's like a way simplification. So I don't want them to take it. It's like a pamphlet of like, just be present. It's a little more than that, but it's like, right. They talk about like, you can't have a panic attack. Like while you're like, I'm, I'm going to go like, while you're exhaling at a four second clip, like it's just not your body. You're, you're, you're changing everything about how your body's reacting to the stimulus, to the perceived stimulus or real stimulus, whatever it might be. Right. Like they talk about it like military was it the four second block breathing where you, you know, inhale for two, exhale for two, inhale for two, exhale. You just keep, you know, just whatever the number is, but does it kind of talk about that or does it go into some other stuff as well? 
Yeah, it's it's very again, it's one of those very buttoned up kind of informative ones. Like it gives you uh, like general generalized anxiety disorder. Over what a generalized uh, anxiety disorder would be. They talk about social anxiety disorder. What a what a frenzy disorder would be. What a phobia is. Um, and it helps kind of point out certain things. Um, and like separation anxiety disorder, they they cover that extensively as far as how to recognize those, what kind of things you can do to um, uh, kind of relieve those kind of symptoms, reasons for your anxiety, um, hereditary qualities, mind sciences. I mean, it's a very informative book, and it's definitely not one of those ones that uh, can be kind of to a certain extent. This is more of a very analytical, very to the point kind of thing that helps you recognize, okay, these are the things that I'm feeling or I'm going through. And these are the things you can do to help uh-huh. recognize those things. And then you can kind of gotcha. put those out. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, I mean, have you seen, is there any uh, grief books that you've tapped into at all? I know I have, I have like a library of ones I usually recommend for people, but has there been any that you've found that dealing with loss specifically? Um, the one you mentioned earlier, uh, Megan Devine. Uh, yes, I did read that book. That was a suggestion that was given to me from a fellow support group that um, is on Facebook. Uh, Widow and Widow's uh, support group. I want to make sure I give them a shout out as well. They've been amazingly supportive. Which one is that? Uh, extremely young widows and widowers on Facebook. It's it's got two thousand five hundred plus people, um, and there's constantly new additions to to the group because unfortunately it's just a common thing to have this happen at a younger age. Uh, but with that resource, I can't tell you how amazing it is that they, that they have that offered. And yeah. if anybody is listening to this that has begun their journey, or even if they're a few years out, I highly suggest into those kind of groups online helps. Yeah, there, there are several that are really good. What I would, every group, I shouldn't say some group, every group's going to have a post just like in Facebook today that is, you're going to, that's going to jerk you the wrong or the right way, depending how you want to look at it. And so like, just remember that when you're talking about a group, it's a safe space for people in grief. So like maybe give, if I, I agree with you, the extremely young widow groups is another good one. I should probably start maybe one time I'll do a whole social media on uh, a review of like the groups that I've referenced and that I actually go and look for widow for solo dads is what I do. It's kind of weird, but it's my thing. And what I was going to say is uh, go down, search through the post because you will find you'll find your tribe of people who are dealing with grief their own way. And man, one of the things you'll find in there is, holy cow, there are some situations where you just go like, I like I have one little and an older. So my situation is what it is. There are some people out there where I'm like, right. It's, it's very eye-opening in those groups, you know, and to your point, like you said too, you know, it's, you can't compare different levels of grief because everyone agrees in their own way and everything's going through something different. But at the end of the day, it gives you such a large perspective of exactly what you can kind of hold on to and go, okay, this person kind of understands where I'm coming from. And these groups, they're so open and honest. And everyone that I've met on there, and I mean this wholeheartedly, everyone that I've met on there has been so open and honest and has been so 
Well, we may have connected. That may be the one we connected on. I can't remember. That's, yeah. that's the one we connected on. Yes. Well, and that's the thing too, is like, so keep in mind, and I, I do like that. I'll put it for a different, a different kind of show review or notes of like, here are the groups, but like, I, I, you're absolutely right. Like definitely go on to whatever your social media jam is. There's also some really great Instagram accounts yes. that give you like uh, phrases and, and little snippets. Like there are some TikTok even. Yeah. Talk to you, which is, I don't mean that in a downplaying way. It's not a conversation. It's they're throwing you, you know, a couple of phrases a day of like, you know, the rocks are hard and water is wet. What are you going to do about it? Right. Type of stuff that is really good to grief. And I, and I think there are some really great ones that people should, and again, there's going to be ones that speak to you and there's gonna be ones that don't, and that's okay. So inside of those groups, there are people that are going to get it. And, and I think you're absolutely right. So good, good call on that. Um, and the Megan divine one, I was the only thing I wanted to say is, so she does, since she's mentioned writing, I have not done it, but I've heard nothing but good things from people who have done Megan Devine's, I think it's Refuge or yes. Ref, yeah, it's Refuge in Grief. Yes. And I think it's a 30 day journaling writing course. And I have yet to have anybody give it anything but good to great. Like it really helped me. I would say, especially within the first six months. I think there's just something there about putting it to paper. I'm a firm believer. I mean, Absolutely. I've kept a lot of my wife's handwriting just because there's something about when it's in writing, it changes. So um, again, no perfect formula here. Just what we have, what, what we're all dabbling in and finding like um, anything else. Cause I think we're kind of up on time and I know that you've got kiddos and I think I have one somewhere. Um, anything else that you want to uh, tell people, the solo dads and the people that listen to the podcast about this and in anything else? Yeah, well, I'll say this. And and I've, I've talked a little bit to you about it before off air, things like that. Um, the solo dads group and this podcast has been such an amazing outlet for not just myself, but for a lot of people. And I cannot stress enough at all. I want to make sure I make this crystal clear. I cannot stress enough how important it is that you have this outlet for everyone, Matt, because you and Ben doing this podcast has opened up the windows and the doors for so many people just like myself. Again, I'm so new to all this. I'm so fresh with all this, but having this level of support and having just the, the other dads to kind of chime in when you're having a bad day going, well, crap, I, I'm pretty sure I just lit my house on fire. What, what the hell do I do now? <laughs> and having and having that group of guys be like, eh, you'll be fine. Just put it out. You'll be fine. That, right. That's been amazing. So I want to make sure I say well, that quickly because it's been, it's been an absolute eye opener. And I wouldn't be where I am at four months out if I wasn't for the support that I've gotten from all the solo dads in, in that group and this podcast in general. With that also being said, I'm a, me personally, I'm a big gamer. The gaming community, they're great. I know uh, some. That's awesome, man. So it's, you, know, it's, hey, you know, show good, good, you know, good call. Like, I think actually, sorry. Yeah, no, you're fine. I think, no, I was going to say, I think guys may not realize that, like you just said, gaming could be the gym, it could be your hunting club, it could be, you might have a community that you don't think you can tap into because it's not all about loss and grief or whatever. Or maybe it's not even about being a dad. Maybe it's all the opposite things but you may want to reach out to it. Keep going. It's online gaming. Keep going, man. Yeah, That's so awesome. like the gaming community, they're great. And the reason I'm saying this is because um, I've had, I, again, that's been my outlet. That's been one of the things that I've done to help me kind of, you know, just deal with everything. But it's also a great thing to unplug and not have to think about it 100% of the time. 
And and if you can find random people online or you can find buddies of yours at play, I've met some amazing people just by saying, hi, how are you? And getting to know them. It's, it's one of those things that I think, again, this is just my personal journey, but I really think that if someone may be listening to this and they go, well, you know, I just don't have friends or I don't really have people that I like to talk to. I promise you type of any type of community at all, especially the gaming community, they're all, I should say all, they're, <laughs> most of them are, most of them yes. are great people. Yeah, and yeah. it's when you get, it's when you get dunked on by a, by a, by a younger child that, right. that that's <laughs> when it hurts a little bit. Well, that's humiliating, but yeah. well, and you know, like what's interesting, like, right? Like, I think what it does is also when you have like a community like that, that you were involved in prior to grief and you're involved in post grief, the commonality stays the same. So it doesn't change the reason you met. Now, when you do post grief and pre grief, like you have a circle, like there are people that you don't, I'll just use me. There are people I was beginning to meet because my wife and I were a couple, my life did some things. I moved. So all those kind of interactions stopped and I got to go now, anyone I meet is only going to be post grief. They didn't even know, like my neighbors never knew my wife, my new neighbors, right? Because she's dead. Yeah. And so it changed. So all of a sudden the commonality I'm looking for has got to be usually as it does with dads, my kids stuff, right? Now I'm looking for that conduit or something else I do, whether it's the gym or golf or online, right? Because you got to find it. So I think too, that having that group that knew you before, during and after, I think people discount how important that is because they still know you as you, yeah. right? And so even though you might be crying as you're uh, sniping in Call of Duty, uh, they'll understand why, right? Like, right. I think I told you the story when Ben and I, we got paired with a random guy. He was like, how do you guys know each other? I'm like, well, do we lie? Do we tell them the truth? Right, right. Poor guy, right? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. Your wives are dead. We're like, hey, sorry, buddy. But yes, because the screen was loading. Like, what do we want to do? He seemed like a nice guy. It all turned out fine. But those are the, and you'd be surprised, right? Like now, like that guy still work. I don't play that often anymore just because of life events as being yeah. a solo dad. But we're still connected on, on the, on Xbox. And what's interesting is like every now and then you'll just send a rant, like, how you doing? And it's like, you know what? Like, good for him. Like, you know, it was a fun, we had a fun little time. So I think that's super important that you brought that up, that you may have a sense of community. You may have a community that you would have never thought to tap into or lean into because they're not whatever, whether it was terminal or it was tragic, they're not that related and they're not grief related. Doesn't mean, like I said, way before I have friends that like can give me as much empathy as they can. And they call me out on it. They were like, you don't talk about this stuff to us. I'm like, well, like, what are you going to do about it? And they're like, we can listen, you asshole. And I'm like, fair point. So <laughs> you have been my friend for 30 years. Got it. Um, so like take that into consideration. Like we kind of like guys kind of take it in. You might be surprised that like sitting, whatever your thing is, having a beer, a chai tea, drinking water, going on a triathlon, whatever your kick is. The person that's been doing that with you pre-grief and post-grief may be a lot more open to listening to you than you might think. So I think that's a really good point. So online gaming community is great. We got the the couple of different widow groups we'll mention, the Solo Dad podcast and the Solo Dad group. And again, anyone who's listening, the Solo Dad group is currently just private just to try to keep it a little more intimate, but eventually it will be public. So you can you can look for it. You can email the Solo Dad if you know Adam, you reach out to Adam or whatever, but like, or me or Ben, and we can get you in there. Um, we did some books real quick, anything for the kiddos, anything that you found helpful for the kiddos? Uh, you know, that's, that's something, uh, kind of touched base on it a little earlier as far as resources and things like that goes. Um, so 
before my wife passed, I had a hospice service um, a day before she had passed. I had a hospice service come and they helped take care of her and then they were here to help for the, the actual process itself. They have been amazing. They have, oh, there's, uh, when people hear the word hospice, they think kind of in the negative manner, um, but they've been, they've been so helpful. They've been so amazing. They have um, counselors and group sessions and uh, worksheets and workbooks. And I mean, they have just so many resources at their available for kids. That has been yeah. amazing. Um, and then also, and it's going to sound kind of cliche, but getting your kids outside and playing in parks or going to the Y or being part of a church group. I mean, whatever your jam is, like you said, right. If, if there's, there's any way you can get them out of being in the space that they're in currently to try to to make them remember their kids right. have fun well, and a sense of normalcy because exactly. they, they know, as we talked about, right? Like they, they definitely know their lives aren't normal. I mean, like even my four-year-old will, will talk about, you know, like, you know, why is that so tired? Because most, I can't say most several houses have a mommy and a daddy doing yeah. stuff. And so dad's just doing all of this by himself and he's doing a lot of it a quarter ass, not even half ass. So, yeah. um, but they know like going to the park is normal because they're just a kid at the park or there's just a kid at, uh, 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 the Bible class. And after yeah. one, my brain just froze from it there, but Bible study or whatever there are. And I know we're at the end of summer. So I will, I will put this in a thing for much, much later, but there are some amazing camps for kids who yes. have lost their, their, their parents to, especially, I know there's some amazing ones for cancer specifically. And again, kind of like the other, the Megan divine thing. I have never heard a parent complain about sending their kid to the summer camp where it's either, it's a requirement, either the parent has to have cancer, like, and it's usually pretty bad, or they have to have died. It's like, there's no like, well, you know, their stepmom had cancer 10 years ago. It's not that sort of, it's that whole different thing. And so like, they have to have it. And it's in, I have heard, and some, some kids went when their parents had cancer and are still going post loss. And it's like this week of everyone gets you on every level. And I want to say one of them, even like the only way you become a camp counselor is if you've lost a, 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 a significant other to cancer. So it's, it's really amazing, but that's summer. So we'll deal with that later. But I think good point, get them back out and fake normalcy. It was yeah. normal. Well, what's normal anyway? Who knows? Right. I don't know. We well, that's it. the thing. I mean, as normal as you can make it, I mean, there's really no normal at this point anymore, but again, if you can somehow make it manageable where they're again, the basis of it all is their kids. Let them be kids and let them have have those moments where they're not worrying about you. They're not worrying about the world. They're just kids. That's the biggest thing I could I could say to for the kids side of things. Well, and I'm glad you brought up also like there. I know hospice sounds tragic. There's some really great resources inside of hospice. Yes, I know this is going to sound really weird. If you're really struggling and you don't think you can reach out to hospice, you can also call the funeral homes and they will at least have a bead on some stuff, whether it's a therapist or group therapy, or like I talk about the, a cancer house, something that will have a resource for your kids. They, they, it may not be close by, but they will definitely have a bead on something because um, we did some family counseling at the wellness house and it was just really good to have someone else 
asking the exact same questions you ask as a parent, but the kid feels like they can answer them differently because they know like they don't want to make dad or mom cry. They don't want right. But the counselor, they can make cry. They don't care. So it's that sort of thing too. Like I was in the room when the counselor was asking my older daughter, the exact same questions I've been asking her. And she's just unloading on this lady. And I'm like, why aren't you? And I'm like, because I'm a dad, right? Yeah. So, um, so I again, great, great reference on the hospice thing because a lot of times people feel like hospice is only there for the sounds bad for the moment. Yeah, they're a resource you can go back to. And even again, if you're four months, eight months, a year out, and you're like, my kid is really struggling, uh, definitely start reaching out. And even and all the things we just mentioned, do the other groups, reach out, man, because I guarantee you, in one of those groups, someone knows somebody, and it might even be local. They may even be like, hey, does anyone know anyone in the Philly area? And you'd be surprised, no. right? So um, thanks for bringing that up, man. Um, man, it was a pleasure as always to talk to you. I know you and I have had several different conversations now. Yeah. Um, you know, I look forward to staying connected. And then uh, maybe in the works, possibly this summer, there might be like a solo dad get together where we can all do something dumb. Oh, that'd be um, great. I'm down <laughs> for being dumb, man. Let's right? do it. <laughs> I'm like, what can we go jump off of, blow up, yes. and I don't know, eat too much of and have a yes. good time. Um, right. So, and yeah, so I appreciate your time, Adam. I know you got a kiddo to, to go get and do your solo dad thing. Yeah. If you think of anything between now and then shoot me a message as always people, thank you for listening. If you can give a review on iTunes, that helps us be found. If you can live any sort of feedback, whether it's, uh, on Instagram, on the email, which is uh, solo dad podcast at gmail.com or even in the iTunes review, super help us out to let us know any topics you want us to talk about or things you need more information about. So as always, thank you for listening. And uh, that's it for the solo dad.